Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Time to play with pain. Hosted by Emmy-winning comedian and writer Jeff Cesario. Interviewing guests from comedy, entertainment, and sports. Plus, legendary sportscaster Chet Waterhouse. Don't worry, this shouldn't take longer than your average trip to Costco. And now, here's your host, Jeff Cesario. Hey, welcome to the podcast. We got a fun one today. Chet uh, has the day off. He's out of here. He's not even going to show up for a uh, for a sports update. No crappy sponsors. Well, maybe I'll, I might pop a few crappy sponsors out. We'll see. Meantime, I have always wanted to do this. I'm going to do it with two uh, close friends who are also two incredible writers uh, to discuss writers' rooms because I love writers' rooms. I just think they're they're idiotic little foxholes full of crazy people uh and uh the guys who are here with me today have great experience at it first i got the uh comedian writer film director josh weinstein josh tip the cap there he is weinstein by the way let me get that out of the way it's only been 35 years jeff it's okay i i, I uh, <laughs> have speed bumped on that all 35 years yes. i've never i've always doubted myself every time uh here's a name i can pronounce joel madison writer Producer, Madison, 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 is it? So, uh, you guys are veterans of Writers Room. I've been in a ton, uh, and uh, so Josh, uh, let us know some of the Writers Rooms you've been. I know you've been in America's Funniest Home Videos, which is re- a completely unique, weird thing. Well, I've been, I've literally, I've done like every kind of comedy TV. I've done uh, talk shows. I've done sitcoms. I've done half hour single camera. I've done hour long single camera. And I've done wow. America's Funniest Home Videos and then whatever Mystery Science Theater is. You know? Oh, yeah. What, what uh, Emmy category would that be in? Mystery uh, Science Theater. Would that I be- think puppet mocking, I think. Puppet, <laughs> something, something like that. Drama slash daytime variety, I yes. think is what be. And Joel, uh, in addition to Roseanne, uh, you've you also quite a few. Uh, yeah, Malcolm all that's Man. almost all those same ones, except yeah. for Mystery Science. In fact, a few of them with Josh. But yeah, hour long, half hour. What did you guys work on together? Camp. We worked on later with Greg Kinnear. We worked on uh, on uh, Malcolm and Eddie, which Joel created, and we worked on America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah. Together. So, how'd you get hired for the Kinnear gig? Uh, Joel, it was Joel. That's a good Joel story. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, well, I'll, t- I'll take the first part. You can jump in. Uh, I was uh, between shows, and uh, it came up, uh, and my agent knew that I, I'd been I'd been doing half hour uh, multicams, and uh, that came up, and he goes, "Oh, just go in there because no multicam's going to hire you right now uh, or ever, maybe." So this is a shot of staying working because uh, it was a late late show, and uh, I had interviewed. So tactfully, and to- tactfully put, 
you were transitioning from uh three camera multicam to a variety talk is what is. yeah that's yes. it transitioning thank you instead of uh, i burned a, a crap load of bridges in <laughs> boy ain't that the truth uh and they were gonna so they were gonna hire me and i actually didn't want the job that bad and i said there's this young guy who'd be perfect i mean he'd just fit right in because he's a joke writer and he uh he um he'd just be great for it and so uh josh came in uh, and interviewed and what was it I don't know why they didn't want to hire you for that, but they hired me. They said, no, we want you. And they hired Josh for their secondary show. Which was Talk right? Soup. It was Talk, talk Soup. Talk Soup. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Which so, Greg was so, doing. so, so I Joel, went, you were hired on the Kinnear gig, the yeah. network, the, the later gig, right? Yeah. Later with Greg Kinnear. And then Josh, you got hired to. I got hired to write on, on talk, talk soup. soup. And then two weeks later, someone quit it later and they brought me over to later. <laughs> um, two, like literally two weeks later. And then I did both shows for most of that year. Uh, I would, and then I, I, I would, I would, right? yeah, I would write. I would, yeah. The second year I became head writer, but uh, I was, I, I would write all, I would write later all day. And then I'd go home and get a box of talk show tapes from talk soup and write that at night. And then I realized this isn't worth it. The amount that they're paying me for the talk soup job <laughs> just is not worth this being Greg that Kinnear's comedy a, slave, really. There may be a running theme through uh, the writer's room uh, imprint of uh, of Play With Pain is they're not paying me enough to do this. Right, right exactly. <laughs> it totally. Might be, right? might be the subtitle of this. So, so Josh... I'm sorry, there's it, another, but there's another part of your career where you go, oh, shit, they are paying me enough to do this. And I still, and I still don't want to do it. <laughs> yes. yeah. It's usually after you're gone, you realize that. Right. Oh, man, they so, were paying me enough. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Josh, I want to get back to uh, a couple things about, about the difference between those two rooms. But first, Joel, how did you get in a position where your own agent is like, and you may not get any more multicam sitcom things because you started uh, hot. You're in. First of all, well, you're in Roseanne's writer's room. Essentially, that's your first. I believe that was that's my your first, first uh, real ne- uh, job. I, I had done. Uh, oh, like we, lost we lost your audio. We lost your audio, Joel. Hello. 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 Oh, maybe. No, uh, go ahead. All right. I got you. Um, Everybody so, got him? Uh, I'd yes. done some punch up and some uh, like a feature thing. But yeah, the Roseanne was my first gig gig number one show and then i went over to jackie thomas which was tom's first show and that Come i don't on, even yeah. know where that hit in the ratings probably midway and then i needed to get out of that camp uh roseanne and tom uh camp and i went on a show that i think it was the i think it was the number 99th show a show called herman's head and oh, uh yeah. it was it was not a good fit and uh they uh let me go after four episodes uh, I had a small pre-production. Apparently, two guys quit during pre-production. Two writers quit, which I didn't know about. And uh, they, the, I, I got hired. It was between like this pilot and Herman's Head, which was guaranteed for the whole year. And I go, okay, I'll go there. And, and when I got fired, is when my agent, uh, you know, uh, said, "Yeah, you better take any job you can get." So, so it's guaranteed uh, for the whole year, except for you. It was pretty there. much, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the so show let me went get on. This straight. You walk into uh, the writer's room. We're going to go back to how you got picked up on Roseanne. You walk into the writer's room yeah. at Herman's Head. Yeah. And 
what do you sense? Do you sense, oh, this could work, or do you sense trouble right away? I, right away. Absolutely. I'm in the wrong place. Um, you know, it's rare that you make you another know? stand. What? How do you know so, it's the wrong place? How did you, just you know? You know, it's the same with my first marriage. You know, right? You know, <laughs> it's just... the same vibe. <laughs> Less people, maybe, but the yeah. same vibe. Uh, I walked into the room and there was just, you know, it's just like walking in like we all did stand up. And, you know, you get to a place and you're and you're working with a couple of stand ups that are speaking a different language. I mean, it's rare yeah. that you can't uh, you can't find some common ground when you're working a gig with somebody for a week. But there are those exceptions. Yeah. And I walked into the room and I went, oh, man, I, I don't know the language they're speaking at all comedically. And there was one sort of bully that ran the room from the third or fourth chair. He wasn't the showrunner. It's just sort of everybody kind of nodded to him. And if he laughed and liked it, somehow the joke went in. And he had this weird rhythm that everyone seemed to pitch to. And I don't know how it started because they were all there. This was like the third season of a show and all these people were there. And it was some, it was like I was the odd man out. And uh, they didn't like me. The executives didn't like me. So it was we just a bad fit. Like the non-writing wow. people didn't like me. They didn't like me more than the writers didn't like me. <laughs> the non-writing people hated you more. <laughs> yeah, they really didn't like me. <laughs> I liked Joel the whole time, by the way. I, yeah, I, I, the entire I, I, thing. Uh, all right, uh, uh, Joel, we're coming back because because uh, I, I want to get the uh, lineage that got you into Roseanne. But Josh, you're in t- you're literally in two writers' rooms, or you're in one writers' room and you are the other writers' room. I'm not sure right. on the two Greg Kinnear things. So you're writing for later. Is, is that an actual writers' room? You're going that, into an office. Yes, that was an actual daily like comedy factory job. Really, get there. How at many eight. people in the writers' room? There was a head writer and then four staff writers. And when you walked into that, you're you're. You don't get the job. Two weeks later, you get the job. Well, what happened was um, I was, I mean, I was 20 years old or 22 years old, I think, when this happened. And so, and I just, I was this very polite Minnesota boy who would go to meetings and just let people talk because that they were talking and that's the polite thing to do. But I didn't understand that the idea was for me to put on a little show for people <laughs> you know so i go to meetings and this is what happened at later I, they go he's a nice guy doesn't seem that funny though <laughs> and so i would i literally had to send them a tape of my stand-up for them to see what my funny was right right um and then they hired me you know and then they then when i wrote for for talk soup for a couple of weeks they were like oh and he's a good joke writer and then they brought me over to later two weeks later. You know? And and when oh. you were in that room, I was already there. So we were pals and yeah, that was well, a that very helped. fun room. It helped except for that. We had a head writer who did not, who was like abjectly or completely objected to collaborative writing in any way. So, and our friend Gruber, Dave Gruber Allen became part of that staff too. And so we had three great friends on the staff that weren't right. allowed to work together, you know? So in a room, so if Josh room, came yeah. up with a joke or I came up with something that wasn't quite right, and that's what you want in a room. Like if I have yeah. it halfway, right. somebody makes it full or vice versa, and the head writer wouldn't allow that. Yeah, we couldn't go off and write a sketch together. You yes. literally couldn't spitball. Is really, yeah, correct. pretty much. You that's could spitball bizarre. to him. Yeah. That is that's, really that's, weird. 
and that's why I quit after the end of the first year. And they said, don't quit, be the head writer. And then I became the head writer. So, Were you able to change that vibe? Yeah, oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because like uh, Joel, like you said, that's kind of what you want in a room. <laughs> that's the idea of <laughs> yes. a writer's room. Especially after week one. Week one, <laughs> regardless of the format, everybody's coming in with something, with whatever they auditioned with or with a pack that people liked. So you're going to be pitching things that could potentially stand on their own. By week two, in most environments, everybody's burnt. Right. So you're just like, uh, phone booth uh, by the docks, go. And somebody else picks it up and goes, hey, hang on. I got a, I got a, uh, you know, a dangling participle of a joke that I can attach to that. Right. Right. But what a nightmare to have a guy who shuts that down. That is, yeah, weird. and it was weird because he had an improv background too, which is a pretty collaborative art form. So it was, it was <laughs> not in his hands. <laughs> no, and the other thing he did was he would, we, you know, Greg Kinnear was, you know, was a funny guy but had no comedy background really. Right, right. And so he needed guidance through the comedy process, and this head writer would give him like. A cho- you know, for each slot, he would give him a choice of 15 jokes written in 10 point font separated by the word or. So it was, so it was like this inc- impossible thing to read. And so he wouldn't find any of them funny. And then he'd go, I want more jokes. And then, you know, the head writer would come back like an abused spouse and go, he wants more jokes. We'll we'll give him more jokes. And so we give him another 15 jokes that he can't deter. He couldn't. And they're all still, you know, so I would get when I became. It's like the bowling stats in in the newspaper. Uh, (laughs) And so when I became head writer, it was just like, here's your choice of three jokes. I think you should go with number one. And he goes, he goes, it funny. I go, yes, it's a good, solid joke. And we'd move on, you know, because he just wanted the guidance. That's what he wanted. <laughs> what a little guidance. So uh, you bring up a good point, and Joel, I'm getting back to the Roseanne thing. Uh, but I love this delineation between rooms, and I think it applies. You guys let me know if it applied in, in your lives. Um, there are fear-based rooms, and there are... are um, egalitarian rooms for lack of a better term there are two kinds of rooms there's rooms where someone is at the helm who's benevolent maybe baseball manager rooms where there's a guy at the helm or person at the helm who who senses what everybody's doing is taking contributions based on writer's strengths and keeping a nice even keel to the room and then there's fear-based rooms And they both work is the weird thing. And often it may depend on who you're writing for, who the star of the show is, but it is a, it is a monster pain to be in a fear-based room. It is. And those fears, you know, the fear trickle, I mean, everything trickles down on a show, you know, the tone is set by the showrunner as to what, what everything feels like really, you know? And I think, uh, you know, I think there are different, you know, the, the real job you have as a staff writer in a room, whatever your rank is, producer, story, you know, your job is to please the person at the head of the table so you can get out of the room, you know? Right. That, I mean, that is the job. He, he or she is the person who's deciding what goes in the script. So, you know, the only, the only way to finish the task is to please that person, you know? Right. And, so you and, have to use the muscles that yeah, they are and, sort of asking you to use. 
Yeah, and there's some times where you find that even that you can't you can't please yourself. You have to please that person. You know, it, yeah. The, the good situation is that's when both is when both are happening. You know, when yeah. when you're pitching the funny joke and they're going, "That's the funny joke." You know, but there's also situations where the person has a different sense of humor or a different agenda, and you're pitching to that. You know. See, I could never make that adjustment. <laughs> well, either Joel and I, or neither of us are quite particularly good at it. <laughs> I just had to pitch Threat. what I thought was funny, and I was fortunate largely to be in rooms where where uh, that was what was called for, and that was yeah. what was needed. But I have been in many rooms, especially award show rooms and specials and things like that, where you just go, I don't know what's going on. I remember I was head writer on a guy's choice awards once and only once because <laughs> they didn't want me back and I didn't really want to go back, but <clears throat> where I hadn't been in this environment in a while. And, and it was, you know, kind of a funny dopey award show. So we were getting a lot of comedy in, but the pitter patter of, uh, you know, <laughs> that was like, I hadn't, didn't, couldn't quite find, find, find the right combination of writers to write the, the patter, the, the, the stuff that didn't necessarily have to be funny, the stuff that right. got you the pipe the information on an award and got it to a presenter and passed by the presenters, publicists and all of that crap. And I remember we were about a day behind on the patter and it was almost like you could hear someone hit the panic button in the EP's office, in the executive. It was just like, (laughs) people were running around screaming. And for the first time in my career, I didn't respond to that. I didn't panic. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't, I didn't try to rise to their sort of ridiculous level of panic. I just stayed calm because I said, I don't even care if I don't get this gig again. I just can't afford internally and emotionally to to climb up that weird panic ladder for this for figuring out what <laughs> right. Jennifer Aniston says for two sentences it didn't right. seem right well you hit but, on an interesting gear of uh you know so much time in a room is spent crabbing and worrying about it you know the head writer comes in and he just got his network notes and now it's a day or at least six, seven hours of listening to him and jumping on the bandwagon. Oh, they know nothing. Oh, this note is horrible. And hours spent just being mad. Right. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> all right, let's get lunch. God dang it. Blah, 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 blah. So it's like, why don't we like get to work, like dig in? And I'm like the laziest person I know. Uh, and I, <laughs> and you're like, outworking more, people. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get, let's work for two hours and go home uh, rather than crab for seven work for two and go home i it's just always it felt ridiculous to me and this is and this is another one of those things where you know it's not always about the task at hand because there are plenty of showrunners who don't want to go home (laughs) you know they they want their family to be asleep when they go home and uh if you yeah how about those writers how about those two or three writers in a bigger room that their job is just to kind of hold the hand and yeah, yes, people. I mean, they're in every industry, but it's just like to crab with the head writer for hours on end and to support their not wanting to go home. Right. right. And I'm also there's a lot of money involved. Role, yeah. You wow. know, those head writers, let's say they're making a million bucks a year or two million, you know, whatever that huge salary is. 
Some of it is, oh, if I go home at five, the network is going to think I'm not working hard enough. So part of the mentality is if I'm here 24-7, that's also justifying my my huge paycheck. Right. Wow. So in these two kinds of rooms, the late room and the early room, right. <laughs> uh, have you been in both? I, I've run, but I've run the early room. Right. I, I imagine we've all run the early room. Yeah. The yeah. three of us here. <laughs> well, it's three thirty. <laughs> we actually worked four hours and had lunch. Let's get out of here. We actually accomplished the job. Yeah. In the correct yeah. amount of time. Those well, late Judd, rooms Judd are brutal. Apatow's rooms were always, uh, you know, pretty decent. They they weren't insane. It seemed like when there was an insane amount of work to do, we worked late. Otherwise, it was okay. I, I don't remember it yeah. being insane, the couple of shows I worked for him. Yeah, I, it, well, that was true on Freaks and Geeks, too. It wasn't. Uh, but, I mean, Judd's not fear-based, either. You know? Right. Judd's exactly. not fear-based, 100%. And that's, and that's uh, that's a huge difference, you know. If, yeah. If, if the showrunner is panicking about yeah. losing their gig or the show slipping away or anything, that trickles into the room big time. Right, and and that hopefully um, is picked up on by the writers in a room like Freaks and Geeks, and then they take forward into the rest of their career the notion of an early room and not a late room. Right. Well, know. hopefully you learn or people should learn, but it's mostly, I would say from my own career, 90% fear-based rooms. Wow. And how do you get used to that? What tools do you put in place <laughs> where you don't feel like walking out immediately? Well, I have yet to not feel like walking out immediately, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I've stayed, well, hope I've stayed nonetheless and, at a lot contribute. of places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just hope that you can contribute and, you know, hope, hope you can, you know, it, it all starts out jolly at the beginning of the season too. And then yeah. usually it slowly <laughs> goes to hell. I mean, yeah. in some, in some ways, the truth, the, the tr truth to me and the way I've adjusted when I've had the opportunity to run a room is I would always rather have a smaller than a bigger room. Mm -hmm. I think some writers feel like if I have more people, I'll have more choices, but Sometimes more choices doesn't help you, you know. And yeah, no, everybody it's at a certain level, you add one more person, it just takes more time. You know, and if you have yeah, ten, I, if you have I, ten yeah. people at the table, you know, three of them are just there to, you know, white knuckle their way through it and 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 you know, prove that they should be there. So they're not right. adding they're not adding to the process. They're the ones making bad pitches and keeping people from coming up with the good one, you know? Uh, right. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. I never quite thought of it that way. Most of my experiences in talk variety. And when I ran rooms, I was happy with the sort of baseball manager approach or pitching staff approach. If I had someone who could fill every role that, that I needed to please, you know, Dennis Miller or, or Queen Latifah or whoever was at the helm, Right. If I had that staff, I was happy. You know, maybe I'll take one more. There's always a spot for like a weird guy. That's the last spot I would sure. fill. Sure. Like one <laughs> out of every 10 pitches. No, and yeah. incredible. The other nine are not only bad, they're like a little scary weird. <laughs> but but if right. you've got that extra slot, I'll fill that. Meantime, five, six people is is about really all you need. 
Right. And there's some casting involved in a, in, in a writing room. You know, there are people you want there. Like I, I've had a good friend of mine in a few of my rooms uh, and I don't want to mention names, but you know, part of why he was there was just his vibe was so good. Right. Oh, thanks, Josh. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, I'm not sure you put out a vibe, Joel. <laughs> you are, you have something I envy, which is the ability to sort of just exist without speaking for a while. I, I can't, uh, do it. I have to blurt out not, right uh, away. I'm not that but great you, at that either. You can, you're kind of sensing that room. You have a patience about it. I don't know where it comes from. It's or not why. that. It's not that Jeff. It's, it's not patience. It's, ah. it's, it's giving them rope. It's all. Yeah. It's just ah. giving them enough. Well, rope. That is, that is a constant in Joel Madison's life <laughs> yes, is, 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 uh, your, your, your benchmark is here's the rope. Just run as far as you can for as long as it lasts. Yeah. There is some truth to that. I, I cop to that. So how do you get on Roseanne? Because you're a stand-up. You know Tom. You know Roseanne from the road, essentially. Yeah. Well, I knew Tom forever uh, from the from the road. I've been writing jokes for him to give to Roseanne so that he could say he was writing for her. A lot of people were doing that. Um, I was the first stand-up gimme job that she had that she did. I can take pride in that. Um, so I did position myself. Uh, I had wanted to transition to do uh, write for sitcoms and I had gotten, I wrote a spec script and I actually did a, um, uh, a rewrite of a movie with, uh, with a, a friend, a uh, young Judd Apatow. He was probably 21 at the time. We did a rewrite together of a feature for another, for pay for somebody else. And, um, um, so when Tom uh, took over the show, the third season, where uh, over right Roseanne. after the second season of Roseanne, every, all the, the whole staff quit. It was a huge thing, you know, huge blowout. They were going to have at least a couple of people that they wanted to hire. And they knew I had a spec script. They knew I wanted a job. So they offered a job to me and to Sid Youngers, who we all know from stand up in Minneapolis. Uh, But Sid was sort of on the outs with Tom at the moment. Uh, So Don Foster's name came up, another who never did stand up, but was part of the Minneapolis comedy scene. He'd done improv. He didn't necessarily want to be a writer of a sitcom, but they said, hey, Don, do you want a job? He was living in New Mexico. So him and I were sort of uh, Roseanne and Tom's gimme jobs. Uh. And uh, I, you know, I, he he barely had a spec script at the time because, again, he wasn't thinking in those terms. Um, right. But so they uh, they hired they kind of had to hire me uh, because it wasn't worth I was just a staff writer. So it wasn't costing them anything to keep me in the room uh, amongst these other writers that I don't think Roseanne and Tom knew at all. They were right. just, you know, the usual way that you hire a staff, the. Uh, the showrunner comes in and and puts together so yeah that was my first uh my first gig uh two years there and then over to jackie thomas uh which was tom's first sitcom right weirdest night you had on either of those two gigs either roseanne or jackie thomas oh god jackie thomas had a lot more strange stuff uh going on roseanne so she, that first year I was there anyway, she had promised everybody, the network, everybody, that if she could get get it the way she wanted to and hire her own group, not me, but like, you know, get rid of all those other legacy people, that she would behave herself. So those first year and a half, she really was, did behave herself quite well. Oh. Uh, the Probably the oddest one 
that, I, that comes to my mind is when they were doing a documentary, uh, Australian TV, Australia TV came and uh, did a documentary about Roseanne. And uh, when they came to the, uh, so Tom was never in the room. Tom was always, uh, I don't know where Tom was, but he would tell Roseanne he's up in the writer's room all the time, but he never was. And <laughs> Tom doesn't know where Tom is. Tom, Tom barely knew <laughs> where he time. was, and he would admit to this. So they were doing the documentary, and he brought in the writing, the, the crew, the documentary crew, and he comes into the writer's room. There's probably eight writers and the head writer, and we're in his office. The head writer's behind his desk. He looks at the head writer, gives him the get out sign get out of that chair bob the head writer gets out of the chair goes sits down in a chair tom takes the seat roll them they start doing the documentary about how it is to run the writer's room and tom does a little 10 minute session okay all right now, now we need some jokes here for the thing and oh. i mean it was right uh it, it was crazy and then they okay cut tom gets out of the seat bob takes the seat again and the crew leaves and we actually did that exact same scene for the jackie thomas show because Hey, you can't make up shit like that. Oh, great. So you used it. At least you were yeah, able to we use it. it. Oh, that's Simon show. Because it's when straight Jackie out of my in. favorite year. It's it's yeah. that is such a perfect thing. Josh, weirdest room you were in or, or and or the night you thought to yourself, I'm getting fired off this. <laughs> um, I never felt jeopardy of firing, but it was I mean, the worst my worst. TV year was one with Joel was Malcolm and Eddie. There's the show. Oh, that, why? Why the show, you got to bring that up? <laughs> the the show, worst year of my life as I well. Mean, part of the story is Joel went back to sitcoms. He went to Fresh Prince <laughs> and then he created Malcolm and Eddie. Right. Um, but uh, it was, I mean, I just feel, I mean, sitcom, multi-camera sitcoms, the process for writing them uh-huh. is awful torture, you know, because it is all about, um lateral moves basically you, uh, know, you start the you start you know and I, the other thing i wanted to bring up was just the difference in a writing room between breaking stories and writing jokes uh, and, the, and they're, they're two very different processes and the breaking, and is it two different uh groups of writers does it, it wind it, up breaking into that usually it's the same group i mean on a show like roseanne where they ended up having two you know two dozen writers they would have multiple rooms doing multiple right. things but most sitcom i mean i've i've mostly worked on first year shows that get canceled after a year so <laughs> right. so they never <laughs> that's get a to hell that, of a hook <laughs> they never get to that bloated phase really right right um but uh the thing about i mean story you know is as subjective as jokes are story is even more so you know you know and you're and you're so up against 70 years of tv history you know which tends to write if i think if 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 i may there's a tendency to write from the outside in a lot in sort of blanket network sitcom land yeah which is Hey, uh, let's uh, let, you know, they get a bed delivered and it's the wrong size, you know, I mean, and then there's the camp that says, can we try to write from inside the show? What would our protagonist, where would the problems be? Uh, What kind of problems would they be having? Why don't we take problems from our own lives that could mirror his or her problems? So, so story is, that's a tough that's a tough nut to crack. Sometimes. It's a tough nut to crack, and because it, you know, it, in a way, you know, if you're if you're a, if you're comedy folk, you know what a good joke is, right? You know, but a good story is 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 a more uh, 
it's a slipperier thing, you know, right. and and it's you can you can do things like say he would never do that. Yeah, would never, you know, and you can't argue with that, except it's bullshit nonetheless, you know, because we're just making up whatever they're doing, you know. <laughs> but it still has to be it still has to be grounded. And, 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 no, you know, that's, I, I'm just saying yeah. that when people yeah. use that as a as a defense for I don't like it, I don't like uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. people well, don't like legitimate. to say I don't like that, so they'll come up with a different reason why they're rejecting it. You know, yeah, it, it's legitimate yeah. early in the process. You know, is that something this character would actually say or do? Right. It's bullshit when it's the day before and, you know, you've brought in someone like us strictly to be throwing fastballs against the wall. Joke, 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 joke. And then and it's killing in the room. And then somebody goes, I don't know if Terry would actually say that. And you go, you are way past that. This is being shot in seven hours. Right. And people have to have funny things coming out of their mouth. And there are people who want to slow down the room so they can catch up and get their thing in. You know, it's, I mean, there's all sorts wow. of, there's all sorts of bad behavior and agendas that can go on in a comedy room. If, if you've got the wrong people there, you know? Yeah. What a dynamic. Do that. Do that. So well, I knew I was in that. trouble. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I knew I was in trouble in later years when, uh, not later with Greg Nair, but you know, when I'm, I always came in as, you know, as a joke guy, you know, I didn't really care about the stories that much on most of the beginning shows, but when you start going, Oh, wait a minute, that story is so far fetched. I can't even make good jokes about it. And you're fighting for story. You're actually, you know, like when somebody like me is caring for story and you're in a room where you're the story guy, all of a sudden it's it's like, Oh, I don't want to be that. I don't want to, you guys. So the joke guy. Yeah. That's to go, uh, how do they get to the moon? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, guys, we're out of time, uh, but we're going to do this again because we're, we're merely scratching the surface. Uh, so uh, uh, let me thank Josh uh, Weinstein. Thank you. Well played. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, where can we, uh, where can we see anything uh, you're doing right now? How do we, how do we uh, catch up? Well, look for doing? me. Look for me as J Elvis Weinstein is my uh, nom de plume. Uh, I have a podcast with Andy Kindler every week called Thought Spiral. I have a documentary called Michael DeBar, Who Do You Want Me to Be? And another documentary called uh, I Need You to Kill, which are both fun little rides. Um, that's enough. Perfect. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you should have started with me and then went to Josh because I got <laughs> nothing. <laughs> See, now that's the that's the good punch-up guy in a writer's room. takes the idiot showrunner aside and says yeah let's switch the order (laughs) we'll do it in post joel okay (laughs) i know you're on twitter at joel menace yeah twitter and facebook and all that you know i'm uh i don't know about you jeff but i'm a senior citizen i got my you know arp uh, oh i think you know about me stuff to go around i uh you know i got my uh denny's 10 percent off to deal with today yeah sure and the costco run there's a lot of important things to do (laughs) <laughs> Got to do it. But you know what? I don't miss the wonky, horrible writing room. I miss being with fun guys like you. Yeah. Hanging out. Me, yeah, I, I totally understand. I know. I know that. But I think the good times can really uh, carry a lot of weight. I think they I think they hold uh, they hold the ballast, as they say. I feel like I should mention that uh, I'm sitting here with the two guys who helped me the most when I was a young <laughs> man and came to Los Angeles. And I should thank you publicly. 
because and, you, you uh, are like the two guys who helped me the most when I moved. Well, uh, you're welcome, and you're, you're clearly welcome. the only one who's still working by the looks of our rooms. <laughs> I have we one did more. something I right, Jeff. I, he's got a storyboard behind him for guests. <laughs> I, think right? I, got, I think I got one more rise and crash in me. I think I really do. <laughs> thank goodness. Uh, Josh <laughs> Weinstein and Joel Madison, thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, everybody, I uh, my album, What Was I Thinking, is streaming now everywhere. I go to those places or listen to it on Sirius XM and then uh, call or write Sirius XM and say you like the clips because then they'll play more of the clips, which is a ton of fun. Uh, thank you guys uh, for tuning in and we'll see you next week on Play With Pain.